Today is Wednesday. Shout out to Oliver Thorne. And for you, loyal listener, it is Friday. So thank you for tuning in a little bit late. Uh, later than our regular Monday release, anyway. Uh, I hope you enjoy today's show. It is one of the more content-rich episodes. I would like more episodes in the future to resemble this kind of format. Uh, so I really do hope you enjoy it. Uh, consider this part the table of contents, uh, even though it is an audio medium, so there can't really be a table, per se, uh, so maybe I'm inventing the audio table, uh, if you will, so let me go and uh, file that patent, and then I'll be right back. Okay, uh, we're going over our conversation with Rusty Buckets, uh, not the one that you've already heard if you tuned in a couple weeks ago, but instead a whole nother conversation with Rusty. It was a lot of fun. Rusty's a cool dude. Definitely check him out. Uh, you'll hear all about him and his bulls and some other NBA stuff throughout the show. A little bit less about the creative process, but a little bit about it as well. Uh, we will also then follow that with the highlight of the week or whatever the name of the segment eventually will be from the community. Uh, this week's highlight is from CJ McCollum's pull-up podcast where he talks about mental health in the NBA. And then speaking of Blazers, I will shout out the 503 for the Fans podcast for having me on and show you guys a highlight from that show to give you a teaser to maybe incentivize you to go and listen to his show where I come on and speak. It's a fun little show. I hope you guys check that out and enjoy that segment. And then after that, we will do the signature closing segment of this show, seven seconds or less. Hope you enjoy. Every day I'm hustling, 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 every day I'm every day I'm every day I'm hustling, every day I'm hustling. Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Hustle Points Podcast. I am your host, Rudy St. Clair, and joining me today is once again Rusty Buckets. I, I, how you doing? I tried so hard to hold that in. <laughs> yeah, Son of a bitch! Yeah, you know, uh, what a great intro. If you're not choking, we're not, not smoking. We're not bro. cutting that. Yeah, absolutely not. I, how you been past the uh, past couple of weeks? Uh working. That's holy shit. Working's good. Working's good. All right, well, today we're going to talk a little bit about the Bulls, you know, spit a little bit of bull, bullshit, if you will. Uh, talk a little bit about the Lakers, because they're still relevant, even though... Lakers shit. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, little bit less catchy than bullshit. But, um, you know, talk a little bit of Lakers, because for some reason they're even more relevant because they're out of the playoffs. Uh, and then get just a little bit into the Goatman Terry chat. Uh Less less creative process chat today. A lot more basketball. How how you been feeling about your Bulls lately? Uh, I'm feeling good. And uh, actually, before we top dive into them individually, I actually want to ask a question. Of course. Um, if who would you rather be right now, the Chicago Bulls or the Lakers at this point? Oh, damn. That's honestly a it's great kind question. of it's kind of depressing that that's debatable. Yeah, because <laughs> one team has LeBron James, <laughs> you know, but like yeah, and how has that gone for him this year? Terribly, it's honestly been bad. Uh, but you know, I've kind of come around to 
be a little bit more understanding towards the Laker fans all over Twitter, just being like, oh, we were 20 and 14 in the fourth seed on Christmas. No, no, no. You know, at first I kind of took that as just typical L.A. bullshit. But now I'm kind of thinking, you know, come free agency, I think dudes around the league are probably going to respect LeBron enough to give him the benefit of the doubt, and he might actually be able to land one completely disagree kevin durant said there is a toxic um like thing around lebron regarding media and all of that i think if you're a star player you really do not want to play with lebron if you're asking me just because he takes away from so many stars games and Obviously, star players want, you know, their ego to be fulfilled. And obviously, as we saw with Kyrie Irving, you're not going to get any kind of credit for anything you do if LeBron James is on your team. Like he averaged like 30 points per game in the finals and hit the game winning shot in game seven. Does anybody talk about Kyrie Irving in the 2016 finals? Nope. If, If you're on LeBron's team and you're a star player, it's never in any world going to be your team, even if he's backtracking. Um, I think they could sign some three and D guys because those guys love getting open shots and LeBron can generate open shots. But as far as, you know, if I'm Kevin, I don't think Kevin Durant would ever go there, but if I'm Clay Thompson, I don't think I want to go there. I don't see how that's in any way a better but better situation than playing with Stephen Curry. If I'm DeMarcus Cousins, I don't think I want to go there. I don't think his personality would clash with LeBron. Same for Jimmy Butler, who apparently they're going to offer him $35 million a year, which is ridiculous. Kawhi Leonard, as soon as LeBron went to the Lakers, I'm pretty sure he said he no longer wanted to go to the Lakers. Like, I'm not seeing where the star player is coming in in that equation. You can have cap space, but if you're a player that, you know, there's so much toxicity around you, even if you're a great player, and this year, what a clusterfuck that team was. The organization doesn't seem like it knows what it's doing. LeBron doesn't seem like he knows what he wants. The young players don't seem to have any clue what's going on. I'm really failing to see what about this team is attractive to a free agent besides for you'll get money and it's L.A. Well, if you're LeBron's friend, <laughs> then, you know, it's attractive to go play with your friend, I guess. But, you know, other than and, reasons you know, that the- one. The Clippers have it's LA and we have money, so yeah. and there's a way that. better owner, arguably. I mean, no offense to a uh, to Genie Bus, but Steve Ballmer is having a lot of fun running the Clippers. It's not really a business for him; it's more of a project. That's the perfect type of owner. Exactly, a fan that just supplies the money. That's what you need out of an owner, not some cold-hearted businessman who's just like, as long as we're making profits, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Reminds me of um bringing in D Wade and Rondo was sort of like a selling ticket. That was like, all right, we're gonna make money off of these guys. Not all right, we're gonna win. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what a D Wade Bulls jersey is going for today or five years. Seventeen dollars. <laughs> well, if that's the case, I might want to cop one. I'm, I'm, I'm the only one, one that isn't anti Dwayne Wade and Chicago Bulls fandom. <laughs> it was everyone in Chicago like to just forget that ever happened. But 
I always go against the norm. Anyways, uh, we can talk about the Bulls now. <laughs> that was a long <laughs> tangent. Uh, how I'm feeling about them, well, Otto Porter Jr. is the greatest glue guy in the history of glue guys. I think 17-7-4 and four is reasonable. You know, as a glue guy, he just pulls everything together into where everything now works correctly. And even though him as a player, talent-wise, is nothing crazy, the impact he has from pulling everything together is significant. It's weird how in Washington, he seemed like a piece that was just sort of wedged into this team and didn't really add or take away too much. He just sort of... Yeah, how he... How he is on the Bulls is he is one of the guys in Washington. He was one of the guys that helped John Wall and Bradley Beal. Now, Otto is a supporting piece to Zach. However, I don't feel like he's just another one of them. Like, he is the supporting piece in Washington. Like, he was just the best of a bunch of other guys like him. They never felt like he was really that important to the team. Definitely not. I mean, his contract might make people think that he seems important <laughs> to that team, but that was sort of like a we had. I was sure it was 2016, and everyone was getting paid. Yeah, it's also sort of like a we have to bring this guy back, otherwise we're just letting the top pick walk for nothing type of situation. Yeah, you know, I think Zach Levine has figured out a way to play and score a lot, but do it in a way that benefits the team and isn't just him getting empty numbers. And I think Laurie Markkinen has finally decided to play aggressively. Uh, I don't think I said this in my Gar Pax video, but nothing that Laurie Markkinen did was something he wasn't capable of in the month of February, where, in case you didn't know, he averaged 26 and 13. He just decided to play aggressively for the first time in his career. He was actively looking for his shot, and he averaged 26 points per game. Yeah, but so I'm very happy right now. Yeah, as you should be. I mean, between him and Zach, you definitely have your offense all figured out for the next few years at least. I mean, that's 50 points a game out of your two best offensive weapons, just like that, arguably, you know, for a long yep. time. That's a good place to start founding your team. But um, were you watching that game where uh they brought the team back out onto the floor for a non-game winner after they already called yeah, it? Yeah, because somehow the Bulls had a nationally televised game, which I was surprised by. <laughs> was it on TNT? <laughs> was it a TNT Bulls performance, or was it on like ABC or ESPN or something? I think it. I think it was on ESPN. Uh, what did I think about it? I thought it was really damn stupid uh, because even if they had started the clock at the right time. I think it was Zach Levine who knocked the ball away. The ball literally went right into the hands of another Bulls player. I'm not sure which one it was. Zach tipped it, and then a Bulls player was like right there to grab it. He didn't grab it because the buzzer went off, but if they had timed it correctly, the Bulls still would have had the ball. So it was, if we had lost on that shit <laughs> dude <laughs> it's like well, i don't know what i out. would do i don't i'd have to give a basketball a break for at least a week minimum what about uh lebron uh, do you think that he should just sit out the rest of the season i know he's going to be on minutes restriction but 
I don't see whether I don't think it matters one way or the other. Yeah, I don't I don't think so either. But could you imagine if he actually ended up straining his groin again? And, you know, let's say it's worse. I, I want LeBron to come back next season and be back to 100 percent because I don't think he was 100 percent upon returning this year. I, again, I don't think it matters. I think he'll be 100% after a full summer regardless. But dude spends a $1.5 million a year on his body, right? <laughs> Something like that. I mean, he's not going to play in back-to-backs. And then I also saw where Jeannie Buss made a comment saying that she thought that a combination of NBA front offices and uh, media members were sort of conspiring against them in a way. Uh, just leaking out fake trades and things like that, uh, denying that the Lakers are willing to sell the whole farm for Anthony Davis. But I think they should. I think they should be willing to sell the whole farm for Anthony hey, Davis. Sorry, let me. I'm gonna look up the definition of bullshit real quick. I think. <laughs> I think Jeannie Buss's name is mentioned. <laughs> yep. Uh, bullshit. <laughs> it's, it's a very clear deflection. There was no conspiracy against L.A. They fucked up, and now they're trying to say, oh, it wasn't us. No, nah, it was you guys. You guys <laughs> fucked up. That's what happened. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It, it would be really unfortunate for them, especially. Uh, I mean, not that it wouldn't be more unfortunate for the player, and that should really be where the focus of the following circumstance should be is on the player. But it would be really unfortunate for the Lakers, especially for not making that trade if this Brandon Ingram blood clots thing turns out to be as serious as the Chris Boss blood clots thing. Yeah, I mean, that would just, that would suck. I don't even give a shit about L.A. at that point. I just feel bad for Brandon. Brandon. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's like right there in between our age, you know, early 20. I think he's 21, right? I couldn't How old imagine. are you? 23. <laughs> old ass. Yeah. Um, I, could, I could be your father. You're basically dead. <laughs> yeah. You know what's really sad? I actually typed in bullshit on Google. I don't know why. <laughs> actually yield results that somehow incorporate it's now in my search history. <laughs> You're going to get uh, an ad served to you soon for literal bullshit, just like in a jar. Great. Yeah. It's good for you. If LeBron doesn't matter for their tanking efforts, do you think it mattered at all that he passed Jordan for fourth of all time on the scoring list? I saw someone on Twitter trying to argue that people gave a shit when Kobe passed him because third all time is a more important number than fourth all time. <laughs> but <laughs> So you're asking, do I think it matters? Yeah. No. <laughs> god yeah it's it's important what was it 140 more career game something like that yeah it's, it's longevity which i un i understand longevity like you should give credit to longevity it is important that you have that but at the same time you know as i calculated jordan would have had close to if not forty thousand career points had he not retired god That'd be an incredible record if he could have just like I mean, been the, the if you're trying to use that as an argument for LeBron as a better scorer, you're just gonna look dumb. Oh, Jordan yeah. was clearly the better scorer. You can have pretty much anything else is up for debate, even defense. Prime, it's debatable. 
but there is no doubt that Jordan was just the better scorer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is like a the Barry McCockner style argument of like, uh, fuck, I blocked that guy a long time ago. <laughs> I just uh, every time I see that profile picture of the fake doctor from the Addiction just Network like, commercials, get ready for cringe. Yeah, <laughs> but it's I didn't understand. I didn't understand the reference when I had first seen his profile, and then one day I was watching a game, and then that ad came on. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, I had the same exact experience this season. I never put it together until now. <laughs> I just saw the commercial and said, oh my god. I made, he made this infamous video making fun of Jordan's 69 point game, or not 63 point game against the Boston Celtics. I made a whole video breaking down his video talking about why it's bullshit. And I didn't even understand that his name, Barry McCockineer, is actually Barry McCock in her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I had someone in the comments like, dude, do you not see the name? <laughs> it pissed me <laughs> off so much that I didn't pick up on it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what a good troll will do to you. They'll make you put a whole lot of effort into reacting to them. And little fucker. And you'll just be missing out on a little bit of information that... They're trying to fuck with you. <laughs> so Yeah, and it works, which pisses me off. Yeah. Uh, you gotta you gotta block him for your own safety at this point. You've compromised. No, I yourself. blocked him for I'm tired of losing brain cells. <laughs> so uh, I guess you haven't seen the the slightly more recent video of him just being like, Oh wow, look at all this great defense in the lane by these Tough guys in the '90s, you know, back when basketball just, was good. And I it's didn't just see it, MJ but I'm just imagining it and fuming. Yeah. <laughs> just, it's just MJ tearing up the Pistons and just like some slightly lackluster defensive effort plays here. And, and I there. guarantee you, he cut out all of the good defended plays. Right. Right. And Absolutely. my video breaking down his quote-unquote breakdown of. The 63 point game he showed three minutes of the nine minute highlight video and the other six minutes were tough defensive plays where jordan just made the shot anyways <laughs> <laughs> he just cut out everything that was against his point it's just so funny to me now but i was mad at the time and it's just proof to the point that cherry picking evidence for the purpose of proving your argument is not a good argument strategy and it's did you watch uh, my video on that particular yeah. thing yeah yeah it, it was funny yeah, especially I mean, just knowing uh, that it was i cherry picked lebron photos i love doing that <laughs> i love so much about that video not to give myself too much credit but no nah, no nah, i i trust me there's nothing wrong with enjoying your own work you know it's like that one uh Aziz and sorry bit where he talks about meeting Kanye and going to Kanye's house and Kanye's listening to Kanye's own Kanye music. Yeah. He's like, these, these beats are dope. <laughs> I had this funny, I don't watch Aziz and sorry up, but I have seen that clip. It's pretty, yeah. pretty. I think that's probably his yeah, most but, um, joke. Yeah. I definitely enjoy my own stuff with the goat mentary a lot. If we want to use that as a segue. Well, yeah. Perfect segue. I mean, we, I was trying to think about how to incorporate LeBron passing Jordan into it, uh, but uh, you know, I, mean, I don't think it. it's a big deal. Yeah, no, no, clean segues are overrated. You need dirty segues. It, it worked for uh, Linus Tech Tips. It can work for anybody. I have no idea who that is. Really, I, I feel like he's like 
probably on like wait the did you say lioness yeah oh you it sounded weird it sounded like you said lioness no. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe i actually did just say that and uh i didn't catch myself saying it that way but yeah wow. this is like a one of the four biggest tech youtubers i would say but yeah, Gomentary, how's it coming? Word on the street is you're about done, and it may even be the next video to come out on your channel. Well, the word on the street was tweet directly from me, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I can't leak my sources, okay? I can. It was me on Twitter. Follow why, me at RustyBuckets21. Why are you giving away the um, recipe to my secret sauce? <laughs> <laughs> um trying to think when did i start uh two weeks ago for the last two weeks i have worked on it for at least nine hours every day like i'm just trying to get it done like i see the finish line and i'm not stopping now um hell yeah yeah basically all i have to do left all i have left to do is i have to finish editing well actually this is not true because as I tweeted yesterday, another one of your crazy uh, anonymous sources, um, <laughs> I found out that a bunch of the songs that I use, I don't know why my dumbass self from a year ago used them, but a bunch of them are copyrighted. So I have to find new songs and I have to cut the audio and re-record it. So that's going to take like two days out of my, delay it by two days. But um, yeah, other than that. two days at this point, you know. I have to do Kareem's section, which I have the script written. I just have to record and then edit it, which should take two days. And then I have to, um, I have to do the ending. The ending is going to take a while because that is basically the structure of the video is I do my intro of the top of like what it's about. And then each of the nine candidates in order, Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain, Kareem, uh, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Jordan, Kobe, Duncan, LeBron, in that order, I basically just recap their careers, do a small two to four minute section after their recap, saying what their main case for GOAT is, but also what the main argument against them would be. And then I do that for all nine, and then the final the ending to it is a comparison of all nine in relation to each other. I'm going to list out, you know, in comparison, every award they won, the amount of championships, the amount of finals MVPs, mm -hmm. the also going to rank their level of help, um, their level of competition relative to their position mm -hmm. and who they played in the finals things like that. Um, basically, it's going to be a huge conglomerate of here are the nine greatest players of all time to most people, because I realize there are a lot of people who are like, why isn't Hakeem in there? Why isn't Shaq in there? I don't, I'm not fucking making this three hours long. <laughs> <laughs> um, Gotta have a little bit of dignity. The nine greatest of all time, uh, just putting all of their cases flat out on the table and like i said in the last podcast at the end it just says well i don't know you guys decide 
end. <laughs> right, and it will be beautiful. Yeah, so I have so I have to do the ending part where I do that, and then Kareem's part, finish editing Wilt Chamberlain's part, and then um, redo the start, which I'm just gonna have to clench my teeth and just get it done because I'm kind of I'm gonna hate it, just because I hate feeling like I don't know, like I have to redo something. I don't like redoing things, and I'm gonna have to fucking redo this one. I know it's annoying. Fun. Well, I once made a 13-minute video with some of my best editing ever and then accidentally deleted it before uploading. Oof. That's the biggest oof. That's the biggest... Yeah, I wanted thing. to shoot myself in every part of my body until I eventually died. <laughs> <laughs> From the bottom up. <laughs> um, it sounds like, a, sounds like you need to hire a data analyst or something like that and like come up with some sort of master formula for determining the goat like that can be the goat mentary part two it's like actually determining the answer i also have to uh record the endings to all of the mixes because i just you know have to give my little sales pitch mm-hmm. the, the can you hear about air conditioner no i was trying to work up to this uh this pun that i came up with but i'm not clever enough to to get there in a natural way but uh, with all the data that you you came up with, you should come up with an Al Goat rhythm for uh, for determining what the who the goat is. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's like My a mouse is hovering over the call button. <laughs> is it? I mean, it's like a C plus. Mm. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna. That's, that's gonna. That's gonna, that's gonna mm. be the title. Is a. Rusty. No, are you trying to get... I'm not promoting it if that's the title. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> you got me. I'm at your mercy. <laughs> that's basically where I am. I've just been, you know, after recording the first podcast with you, I was just like, I really want to get this project done. And I've had this, as I tweeted, again, your source... Uh, I've had this weight on my shoulders of this project for over a year now. And I'm looking so forward to being completely free of it. At this point, I don't even care if it does well. I'm just ready to be done. And that's not to say that, I, you know, it's a, a like a negative in my life. But it's like... I'm coming close to the end of a chapter and it honestly feels like a chapter in my life just because I've dedicated so much time to this that uh, I'm just ready to be on to the next chapter. I'm actually using a, using it almost as as a personal benchmark to where like, once I get this done, I'm going to, you know, make a bunch of improvements to my video making process. Step up my game a little bit. Also step out the amount I'm uploading because it's I've so much of the reason I don't upload as much as I want to is because I'm dedicating a bunch of time to the goatmentary here and there. When I have when I'm have full focus on regular videos, it's a GG. My channel's about to blow up. <laughs> yeah. Um let me ride those. Also, with you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> I've been trying. This is a more personal thing, but I've been trying to get in shape for so long. I think uh, I've been working late nights on this video for months now. Uh, or you know, and when I'm working late, I love to pound back the sodas and drink and eat junk food in the middle of the night. It's not good for dieting. So I think once I get this project done, I'm not going to feel the stress of needing to upload it. And I'm not going to, you know, stress or, you know, motivation eat anymore or drink. So hopefully I can use this as a way to get in better shape because I don't know if I mentioned this in the last podcast. I feel like I said this, but, you know, going from being a full-time basketball player to a full-time basketball YouTuber has some serious implications for your body, (laughs) especially if you have a, if you have a shit diet, because I've always had a bad diet, but I put up 500 shots a day and ran around my neighborhood every day. So it didn't fucking matter how poorly I ate, but I stayed, I continued to eat poorly and then sat in my bed all day. (laughs) It's not good. Yeah. I mean, at least it's not an old habit that an old habit that's gonna die hard. You know, it's a something that you're self aware enough to put a little bit of discipline on yourself and know that you have the ability and structure in your life to get control over yourself and uh, you know do what's right for you. For you, really, I could do it before the goatmentary comes out, but fuck it. If I just have to lie to myself to use it as motivation what what does it matter as long as the result's still the same exactly <laughs> i also don't want to keep being fat as fuck in my videos <laughs> all yeah. the fat luka Doncic in the comments i do a great job of hiding it and i still get called fat <laughs> <laughs> yeah i really like your new setup that that's a that's a really good look with the, uh, the i would hope so i put a lot of fucking money into it <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's a lovely little setup holding the basketball is a good idea uh, yeah, it covers my stomach. Boom, perfect. <laughs> no, don't worry. In in like two years, you're gonna be standing up, just shirtless and dribbling. <laughs> okay, not quite. That's not you where gotta, you gotta get the female. It's not audience where this in. channel's going. No, nope. uh, yeah, my two percent female audience. I'm gonna pander to them. None of the NBA YouTubers are going for the female fans. <laughs> that can be your niche. I don't think that's a great demographic for basketball YouTube. You'd be a pioneer. <laughs> hey, it's twenty. It doesn't. It's just 2019. It doesn't just have to be women. You're right. You're right. And I'm sorry. I don't mean to make assumptions. <laughs> I'm just trying to be. I just watched. I just watched Captain Captain Marvel. I'm woke now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. You liked my tweet <laughs> replying to that one dude. Uh, where I was saying that uh, the only reason that people were bitching about that movie was because wham wham feminism is bad wham wham. They, I think there's so many people that if they don't feel directly attached or similar to a character, they can't relate to them. Like you don't have to be a woman to relate to Captain Marvel and her struggle. Everyone's gone through shit. It doesn't matter what reason you've gone through shit. You can still relate to it. This has nothing to do with basketball or my channel, so I don't know how we got here. Hey, man, <laughs> tangents and anecdotes are where it's at. It's my my secret goal is to just get people in with basketball, but then make them stay for everything that's not basketball. Feminist, um, Marvel, deep cinematic universe talk. Exactly. 
I mean, if you look at my Twitter, you can pretty much figure out what side of the politics I'm on. <laughs> so we might as well just put it on the podcast. Just look at who I'm following. No, see, I, I always have the, uh, I'm not trying to oust myself, have to defend myself every day on Twitter about why I don't think AOC is dumb. <laughs> why I fucking mm. write in. She's one of the ones that I follow. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, let's get back to <laughs> basketball. Yeah. Honestly, I'm pretty happy with everything we've we've talked about here. Nerd. What? What? <laughs> okay. Right. Be sure to follow Rusty on Twitter at RustyBuckets321. Check out his YouTube channel. the worst channel. ending of all time. Rusty Bucket. Man, I'm okay with it. We We opened bad. We can close bad. The middle was bad. Honestly, terrible show. I'm I'm not even sure I like you anymore, frankly. We opened great, first of all. (laughs) (laughs) It honestly was great, but only because it was bad. Yeah. Or was it? That's the best way to be great. Right. That's how Brian Scalabrini, he's, he's, he's the greatest. And also the worst. No. Only the first part. White Mamba for life. <laughs> and cut. Adam Silver recently spoke at MIT, and I'm really happy that he said this, uh, even though it's a tough thing to swallow. He said a lot of players he meets are unhappy. This once again brings light into a really important issue, mental health that affects not just basketball players, but you know, anybody, uh, football players, non-athletes, teachers, anybody. And I'm really happy that we're talking about it too, because, um, it gives, it it helps validate what we've said in the past and what you've said. Um, you seem very balanced at this point in your career, CJ. What, what do you think it takes to get there? I think it takes struggle. I think it takes an understanding of, of who you are. It takes help, you know, having that family support, uh, being able to read, you know, seek out other opinions and figure out ways to really figure out yourself because we've all gone through this. I know players in the league right now who are very, very successful who are unhappy. I know players in the league who are not very successful and are extremely happy. It's just about finding your balance and then kind of figuring out how to manage your day-to-day stresses because uh, regardless of what you see on TV, as Adam pointed out, regardless of you know the amount of money in your bank account, the amount of startup you have, the following you have, your problems don't go away. You you still have problems wherever you grew up from. You have problems from your childhood. You're, you're sometimes scarred based on your upbringing and it's some of the things you go through, you know, in your in your childhood. Uh, a lot of times, you know, a lot of kids are growing up in, in certain neighborhoods, certain environments where they're exposed to a lot of things early on and don't get the necessary help they need to kind of recover and, and get over that. And then you just kind of go on with life. And as I think Gordon Hayward talked about it, you know, in a recent article, you know, you try to be strong, you try to be a man saying that you don't need help. But in reality, you need someone to talk to, you need someone to vent to, you need someone to be able to help you overcome the obstacles of, of playing this game at the highest level. And, you know, I'm, I'm very balanced now, but there was a time where, where I had high levels of anxiety, high levels of stress, worry, you know, many bouts of depression because of injuries. You know, that's the the one thing in this world you can't control is when you get hurt, the rehab phase is brutal. It's the only time you can't do what you love. Besides if the coach decides to give you a DNP, but 
being uncertain about your future, uncertain about your job, you know, will I be able to last in the NBA? Like what's going to happen with me? The turnover in the NBA is is crazy. You know, about 60 to 90 players leaving every year, 60 new players coming in. So there's a lot of things that cross your mind when you go through stuff like that. Not to mention you have social media. So people telling you, you suck or you're this or you're a failure. You're the worst player to ever play the game. I remember some of the messages I used to get, I used to screenshot them and save them. Uh, one of them was like, you'll you'll never make it in the league past five years. Wow. People would tag me and say, you are trash. And it would be trash cans. Like, wow. <laughs> go kill yourself. Like all these types of, all these types of negative connotations and things that are thrown at you. You have to be strong enough to kind of filter it and not allow it to affect your day to day. But I think it's tough and it, it really takes, it takes a village, honestly. You need help. You can't do it. You can't do it on your own. Uh, this game, as Adam said before, you'll be isolated. You'll be high you'll be low some days you just wake up angry like it's it's a natural emotion to not be happy all the time it's hard for us to constantly be happy regardless of the success you're having and i think that at this stage in my life i'm just i'm happy with you know some of the things i've been able to accomplish some of the things i've been able to overcome and i have a perspective that's very unique based on the situations i've been in you know going to lehigh being short not having a lot of scholarship offers being hurt being hurt again you know, all those things I've gone through has allowed me to just have a better appreciation balance of, you know, what I'm putting into my soul and my mind. Well, Adam said, um, this is from Isaiah Thomas, the great former Piston and world champion, 12-time All-Star. He said, from the time I get on the plane to when I showed up in the arena for the game, I won't see a single person. And then Adam said there was a deep sadness around him. Um, I mean, that's somebody, Isaiah Thomas, is a Hall of Famer. For you, C, what do you think, what was the best thing that you've done to overcome the anxiety and depression? I think reading has really helped me. Reading different types of self-help books, you know, talking to people, understanding that it's normal. A lot of times we feel like we're going through stuff and we don't want to share. In reality, opening up to someone or being able to discuss certain things that are happening to you is helpful because there's a lot of people that are going through the same thing as you. Not only people that are working nine to fives, but people that are playing sports, a lot of us are going through the same issues, you know, not being able to be at, be around for the holidays, missing all the holidays, not being around family, devoting so much of your time to a game that you miss out on so many things throughout your entire life. You, you literally sacrifice so much to play this game. And then the season starts and you're, and you're sacrificing more because you're focused, you're locked in. Like Isaiah Thomas said before, this game is your is essentially your life. It's how you provide for your family. It's what you've played your whole life. It's, it's all you've known. So when that's not going well, how do you respond? And when it's going well, how do you respond? Because you know there's going to come a time where things don't go your way. So it's just about trying to keep that balance. And it takes, I mean, it, it takes a lot, honestly, because you fly to a city. Like we've been on the road for 21 days. I haven't been home for 21 days. And granted, part of that was all-star break, but... You're around your teammates, you watch film, you go eat your team meal, and then you have this idle time where you just essentially sit in your room until the game starts. And it's a lot of time on your hands to really think about stuff, to really go through different types of feelings, but you have to balance your time well and really understand what you're trying to get from this game, but also understanding that it is just a game. Put all you can into it, prepare, work hard, and live with the results, and don't let it affect your day-to-day, which is very hard to do. Yeah, it's interesting... Um... When I've talked to young players, especially, you know, a lot of guys are happy, but some of it's artificial happiness. Um, you know, uh, maybe they had a, a huge game and it, it, 
it was like awesome for a week, but then they had a bad game and now all of a sudden, um, you know, they're, they're down or maybe it's something in the summer, like, you know, uh, Instagram following, you know, where they feel like, okay, I got some more clout now. Now things are rolling, but that that's artificial. And when you're, when you have a great game, um, and then followed by a bad game, like that's part of NBA life. And th- these are just things you have to learn uh, as a young player in this league, especially someone that maybe was only in college for a year or two. And it's it scares me because I feel like young players especially, um, but really any NBA player, but especially young ones, are, are so vulnerable and almost embarrassed to ask for help. They feel like it's an indictment of their character uh, when they are vulnerable and that maybe somebody – will look at them differently or they it makes them look like they're not tough. Have you seen that or, or did you experience that early on where you felt at least initially CJ that you didn't want to reach out because it made you look weak or or different? I definitely think that younger players and players in general aren't likely to ask for help early on in their careers because they want to figure things out on their own. They don't want to seem weak. They don't want to seem soft. They want to seem strong and capable because you're at the highest point of basketball. This is the best point. The best 450 players in the world are here. And you feel like you got there for a reason. So you're trying to, you're trying to trust and rely on some of the things that got you here. In reality, maybe it was just your talent. Maybe it was just your skill. And now you need to uh, gain a better mental understanding of who you are, a better mental understanding of the game and how to be successful while balancing everything out. So. I think you're right. A lot of younger players don't know what questions to ask, aren't sure of the emotions they're going through because they've been dealing with them forever. It just kind of continues to grow. Your problems, you have more money, so that means you have more problems. People people automatically assume that you're able to take care of them, able to bail them out of certain situations. You're getting ticket requests in every city. If someone can't pay their light bill, who do they call it? They're calling you. If someone in the family gets sick, who are they calling? They're calling you. Now, those little problems that you had become bigger problems because you're taking on your personal issues, your personal anxiety, your personal stress, your personal pressure to perform. And now you're taking on everyone else's problems as well. And that's a lot to deal with and a lot to handle for a 40-year-old, let alone a 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old who's been dealing with stuff his entire life, her entire life. And I think that... It's tough, honestly. Right. It's it's really hard. And yeah. I think that now a lot of people are starting to speak out on it and starting to understand that you got players making hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars and are genuinely unhappy. They thought that they would find success from basketball. They thought that it would be from a championship. They thought that it would be from a scoring title. They thought that it would come from getting a shoe deal. But it doesn't. Success and happiness comes from within. And I think that until people really start to understand and realize that, and until they start to find that happiness. Um, genuine happiness is understanding that, you know, you, you, you're being grateful for what you have. You're being grateful for what you're given, not comparing the things that you have to others and genuinely being happy and comfortable with self. Yeah. And I think that it's hard for people to get to that point. Like you said before, a lot of young players, you know, they go nine for 13, they're excited, they go one for 13, the world's ending. Being able to stay balanced and even kill through all of that is is how you kind of find your own inner happiness because you're not going to play 82 perfect basketball games. It's impossible. It's it's not going to happen. Even Steph Curry doesn't make a three every now and then, and he's shooting 46, 47%. So that kind of shows you that there's a 
there's a type of way to handle success and a type of way to handle failure, but it needs to be in line with each other. Yeah, happiness comes from within. And when you start comparing yourself to others, you know, that can be a motivating tool. It can also be really dangerous. Uh, my, my sophomore year of college, when I was playing, um, I, I worked that whole summer after freshman year to get in the best shape of my life. I mean, I, I really put in uh, an incredible amount of work. And right before the season, I basically broke my foot. And I was so devastated, CJ, that I put on probably at least 10, maybe 15 pounds. I was out probably three months, four months. And missed almost the whole year. Didn't want to talk to anybody. I was in a complete rut. And this is, think about that. I mean, that's that's college basketball at a, not even a super high level. That was when I was at Seattle U. I was playing D2 basketball. And imagine somebody like you who or any NBA player that has an injury and goes into this deep depression or a DMP because they're not playing well. And how that starts to affect you because then all of a sudden it is, at least for me, you are embarrassed. You don't want to talk to somebody. Um, you start feeling badly for yourself and it just kind of spirals. Um, with what you said earlier, you know, about social media and some of those like death threats or like, you know, you're trash. Do, do you feel that that is more uh, potentially devastating or hurtful than anything else? Like when you have comments from, from, from fans, like does that start to get to you does that wear on you i think it depends on the person um what you put into your brain and what you think is what you become so you can't surround yourself by negative people you can't absorb too many negative comments too many negative threats because then you're kind of forgetting about all the positive things you're doing it might be a thousand comments on your page about how well you're doing how happy people are for you supporting you but that one comment that one person who you know is negative you remember that forever like you kind of carry that with you. So you have to be able to filter out the negative comments, the the hateful things that are said to you, understanding that you're able to, to change a lot of people's lives. You're impacting a lot of different people who are fans of you, who are inspired by you. And to take that, you know, with the with the negative comments, the negative disrespectful things that fans will say or people will say just to get on your skin, understanding that you're still impacting so many people's lives, so don't allow it to affect you. But I think that it affects a lot of people. I think understanding and comparing yourself to other players affects us. It's one thing to to do it in a healthy manner, understanding like, all right, this guy's playing at this level. I need to, right. I need to step this up right. and this up. But to to envy someone because of where they're at or the position they're in, I think that's that's when you start to see you know, people becoming more depressed because they see someone's Instagram is popping or it appears that they're having the the life that you desire. But in reality, we all got different problems. You just don't know about them. No one's posting their problems online. Instagram is a facade. It's, it's just basically showing you all the highlights. It's not showing you the, the negative disappointments, the, the, the times where someone is really just not feeling like themselves. And, and I went to chapel in, in Toronto and there was a great, there was a great story told uh, by the chaplain just about comparing yourself to others. He compared, you know, his situation with one of his neighbors. His neighbor, you know, had like one of those huge, huge big screen TVs. And he would always, you know, go over there and watch games and kind of envy like, man, I wish I could have a TV like this and things of that nature. And it starts small and then it gets bigger and bigger. Then it starts to eat at you. So you have to be able to kind of control, you know, those negative thoughts and those comparisons. And he had a great point. He said, comparing ourselves to others is a pure recipe for disaster. Comparison is the thief of joy. 
And I think about that every day, understanding that I have to be thankful for what I have and not compare my lifestyle, you know, my history, my future to others. Just live my best life, understanding who I am, what I've been able to accomplish and what I want to accomplish, and just live with that. And I think that you'll be more happy and, and the rest of the league and, and players and people in general will be more happy when they start to understand who they are. And you try to figure out ways to be a, a better version of you, not a different version of someone else. I often wonder, like, and that's great from, you said that was in Toronto, by the way? Yeah, it was in Toronto. That's a great line about comparison. Um, and with that in mind, I often wonder about, like, um, my my social media and what's what's the balance because the negativity, obviously, is always there. But even sometimes, like, you almost feel like you want to, especially on Instagram, like you want to project something that's better or, you know, the, the best version of yourself. When, and, and it's just a, it's a small snippet. It's a snapshot. And it can be so distracting. Like, I, this is just me being honest. Like, I, I've been on Instagram where I'm about to post something and I have a great caption and it took me 10 minutes or 15 minutes, some ridiculous amount of time. And then I delete it because I'm like, you know what? I don't really look, I don't look good there. Seriously. I'll delete it. And it, and I, it's so stupid. It's so absurd and it's such a waste of time. But I do that because I'm like, yeah, my smile looks messed up or well, I look, you know, puffy or whatever it is. Um, do you, how much, I guess, CJ, how much time do you spend on social media? Would you ever consider abandoning it or um, should the league mandate a social media off season? Like what, what do you think about all that? <laughs> no, I don't think the league should mandate a social media offseason. I think that players know what they can handle and what they can't handle. I always say we know ourselves better than anyone else. So if you know you can't handle certain things, take a step away from it. You know, kind of back off, log out of your accounts. Don't read the negative comments. Filter it. Block people. I think the block button, the mute button, the spam button is one of the greatest things ever invented in social media. Being able to remove those negative comments, being able to remove people that shouldn't be impacting your life or your decision-making process or how you feel. I think that's important. I I don't really mandate myself on social media. I try not to be on it when I'm around family. I try to stay off my phone, you know, when I'm around loved ones because I feel like I'm on my phone all the time. I'm by myself all the time on the road, traveling, doing different things, reading articles so that I try to just be able to take a step away, whether I'm reading a book, reading something online, watching a TV show, talking to family, whatever the case may be. But I think it's just about governing yourself. You you know what you can handle and what you can't handle at this point in your life. And it's up to you to kind of be responsible with being on social media, with what you what you allow to affect your moods. Because some days I'm moody and I know I need to like, all right, I need to chill out. I might respond to someone I shouldn't have responded to online. I might say some hateful things and just continue to inspire hate. When in reality, sometimes a lot of people are just looking for a response. They'll hate on you. You'll comment. And they'll be like, thanks, thanks for commenting, man. I appreciate that. And you'll be like, what, what kind of person are you to, to hate to get me to respond to say thank you and say <laughs> that you're a fan? Like, So there's just like those types of situations that happen. And then you realize, look, man, just, just love people. Just be genuinely honest with people. Live your best life. And don't allow negative comments to affect you. Um, let, let's get away from this topic, though. Let's talk about this. Let's get a little bit into Memphis. Marcus Sol trade, uh, is traded to the Raptors. What's your thoughts on that? What was your thoughts in the moments when you saw Shams or uh, Wuju tweet it? Um, well, initially, like, very first moments, uh, 
I was saddened to see him go, but also relieved because, you know, it's the right thing for the franchise, of course. Um, but getting into the nitty gritty of it all, uh, I'm honestly a little underwhelmed with the return. Uh, although I understand that it was highly circumstantial because for the 36 hours before the trade, effectively, uh, it was basically a handshake agreement as far as I understand it between Charlotte and Memphis. Uh, yeah, to- I was going to ask about that, actually. Uh, what happened to that deal? Uh, it just fell apart. Uh, everything I saw basically said that the Hornets front office, um, which I like to just uh, call Michael Jordan all on its own, <laughs> whoever is making the decisions over there, it's all just Michael Jordan. Uh, so Michael Jordan was just being a little too uh, too stubborn, a little too indecisive about if they wanted to give up Malik Monk or not. Uh, and the contract structure of the whole deal was honestly very confusing for me because when it was initially reported, I saw that it said uh, blah, 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 and expiring contracts. And so I went to go look at the Hornets expiring contracts, and they don't have very many. Uh, so it probably would have included Frank Kaminsky. Uh, it probably wouldn't have included Nick Batum, uh, but I would have loved to swap Chandler Parsons for Nick Batum. Oh, gosh. Oh, man, I would have been elated. Uh, Nick Batum, for you guys, was, like, untouchable at one point. I understand he's nowhere near the caliber of player he was even two seasons ago, uh, but he is way better than Chandler Parsons, and Chandler Parsons is a toxic locker room presence, and we need his I agree. <laughs> Yeah, and I, that's interesting. I mean, that it, I that's horrible that I mean, Marcus has played his entire career for Memphis, and it has to happen that way. I mean, it. He knew. I mean, he, he didn't travel with the the team like the final game before the the trade deadline, right? He didn't. Uh, he came out onto the bench uh, in the last game that he played, or he he didn't plan it, but it was his last sight sighting, basically. Uh, with the Grizzlies and uh, everyone thought he didn't travel with the team, but then he came out during uh, the second half and everyone noticed and gave him a standing ovation. It was, it was a lovely little moment actually. Yeah. Yeah. That that's awesome. I mean, and uh, well, let's ask one more, uh, one last Memphis question. I mean, where do you think Memphis went wrong with uh, the trade deadline? Well, it was for trusting Michael Jordan to pull the trigger on a complicated deal uh, on the trade deadline. That's something that's never really happened uh, before. Uh, so we settled for the Toronto trade and, uh, it was really good for Mark. Toronto is a good destination for him. So I'm happy for Mark. Um, but where we really went wrong was not managing to do a Brandon Knight deal with the Rockets and sneak a couple picks off of them for our bench unit in Jermichael Green and uh, Garrett Temple. We sent him to the Clippers for Avery Bradley instead. And while Avery Bradley could maybe have some value, you know, maybe turn into two second round picks next year, something like that. uh, It's really not as good as getting Brandon Knight and a first round pick in five years from Houston. I would have much strongly preferred that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's agreeable. And so I, I think also probably not like I don't I don't I'm not a Memphis fan, but I think maybe not trading Mike Conley. I know his contract is horribly trying to trade, so you'd have to have a lot a good amount of pieces to get him back. So what's your thoughts on that? 
Right. I think uh, the idea with Mike Conley is that with a young team and his uh, mentality towards the team being a loyal guy, uh, he's valuable in the locker room as a uh, leadership presence, even through a rebuild. He's not good enough to make us too good. Uh, but more than anything else, really, we're in a particularly odd spot right now because we prefer to convey our pick to Boston that we owe, although it's top eight protected. So we're looking to be exactly ninth worst in the league right now. And the math works out that way to where we either get a top four pick or the ninth pick, no other picks. So it's either we get rid of this debt or we get a pick that's worth having in a mediocre draft class. So keeping yeah, it only helps that. I think with okay, yeah. So that makes that makes sense. I mean, definitely the picks coming back is probably a huge thing. Uh, let's let's end this up with uh, a little talk before we finish the show. Um, I've got a lot of talk. I tweet about it. It's got some backlash. It's got some approval. Um, do you think Nurkic is a top five center? I mean, not top five. You could argue. I don't know top five. You could argue maybe fifth or sixth. But do you think he's a top ten center? Uh, definitely top 10, but top five, judging by just the conversations I've seen happen for you on Twitter, uh, <laughs> I've, it seems like it hinges mostly on if you think that Rudy Gobert is a top five center. Uh, and I think that yeah, Rudy Gobert I, is a bit better. He's just a, a bit more of a defensive presence. I think that, uh, Nurkic has a higher ceiling than Rudy Gobert. I think that, uh, Rudy has, uh, had injuries in the past and, even though Nurkic has all the weight on him, I think for a shorter period of time, uh, he could have a more polished offensive game and then carry that into the later stages of his career where Rudy isn't really showing any signs of that. Yeah, I think with Nurkic, it's really going to be interesting to see how he performs in the playoffs because that will probably solidify where he goes into next season. I mean, he's only 25, so he's still very young. And I forget that all the time. Yeah, he has so much, much time to get. I think better. he's twenty-four. Oh he's continuously getting better every day. Go ahead, Rudy. I was just saying. I think I, I I had him pulled up on the NBA app earlier today. It said he was twenty-four. Yeah, he's uh, born in ninety-four in August. Or is it? Yeah. So I mean, he's yeah. It's I would put Gobert in front of him just because Gobert is an every season defensive player of the year candidate. True. So, I mean, you got to give respect to Rudy Gobert. I mean, he should have been in the All-Star game over some – I don't know who you would have put him in, but he should have. He he has torn the bla- – he tore the Blazers up the first two games. And I would put him there. I mean, you could argue Nurk is – he's better than – he's better than DeAndre Jordan. That's 100%. And he's, be- he's better than – I mean, the guys I would put ahead of Nurk is Jokic, Embiid, Cat I would put Cat right now just because uh, yeah. he's an all-star. Just yeah. he made the all-star team, so I would put him there. And then I would I would say Gobert. Yeah. And then maybe Vucevic. Maybe. 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 That, that that's tough. That they're like literally twins. Yeah. They have similar game. Uh, what's your th- thoughts on Vucevic? Get- I, mean, I like yeah. him, but I don't think he's better than Nurkic. I think Nurkic is yeah, yeah. significantly yeah, better. I, I just he, he got in the East, he got an all-star game, so that's just like you, it's kind of hard. To, I mean, there's people that would think so, but Nurkic is definitely way better at his age than Vucevic is. So I, I would agree. So I would, you could, you honestly could slot Nurkic at the sixth spot. I think you could. I mean, 
that's a fair place to put him for sure. Yeah, and so I think in before we wrap it up, what's your thoughts on the Nurk and Turk uh, nickname for Nurkic and uh, Ennis Cantor? Uh, it's perfect. There's truth and rhyme, and every uh, duo of a of a uh, couple big men need a good nickname. Uh, the Grizzlies big men tried to do it a couple times. Uh, we were the the Smash Bros after the Splash Bros. I remember that distinctly. Oh, yeah, that was funny. That. Yeah, we were. Uh, we actually people are trying to argue the Bang Bros from uh, uh, Mighty Ducks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so they they try to say that, but I don't know. I think the Nurk and Turks definitely the the winner. So yeah, let's wrap this up. Thank you for coming to the show, Rudy. Uh, it was a pleasant time. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Well, listener, we did it. We made it to the end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed this past uh, fun-packed hour of NBA content. Uh, like I said, I want more uh, episodes in the future to resemble something like this one. Of course, nothing is in stone, as this is still only the beginning. We are still in phase one of Operation Hustle Points, and so... I appreciate you sticking with me, but right now, it is time for that famous closing segment, Seven Seconds or Less. And I would explain to you what it is, except for it's coming up. So, it starts right now. The camo hat guy yelling at Westbrook has led to not one, but two fans being banned from the only thing there is to do in Utah, and a league-wide memo about respect. Good. Serge throws hands for the umpteenth time, and this time it, it is in a blowout loss to Cleveland. This is really bad news to the Raptors, honestly, even though Serge is getting the rest he might need for the playoffs. Mike Conley won Player of the Week and went Captain Clutch, winning three games in a row and then eventually losing to the Hawks. Uh, Boston better be ready to land our pick this year. We are going to convey. Isaiah Thomas has been pulled from the Nuggets rotation. IT is a new D-Rose. Daryl Morey got a five-year extension at the Rockets as a GM. He is the best GM in the league, and so he deserves it. Lou Williams takes the record for the most points scored off the bench in a career, and that managed to matter more than LeBron passing Michael Jordan on the all-scoring list. You know, it's weird how nobody cared about LeBron passing Michael because frankly it's mostly due to the fact that the Lakers aren't going to make the playoffs Uh, I think it's really funny how much context appears to matter because I saw footage on Twitter of when Kobe passed Michael on the all-time scoring list basically the whole game stopped and I'm not exaggerating everything stopped we're in the middle of a game and it's like there was an honorary timeout an unofficial timeout where everyone could just soak in the moment of Kobe passing Michael. And then when LeBron did it, because it was so soon after that devastating loss to the Clippers, who are kind of the the model for, for building a team right now, in fact. Yep. Yep, yep. I, I meant to say that. In my seven seconds or less. That's what I had prepared my reactions. But I actually didn't get it out in time. Because I was so close to the buzzer. But uh, don't worry. I had the timer on. And I made it just under 48 seconds. And got in all seven stories and all seven takes. The Clippers have oddly gone from a model for a cursed franchise. To honestly a, uh, a potential roadmap for how to rebuild a team without ever tanking. While remaining... A, a winning culture, you know they got so many different guys in the in the locker room that 
are wired to win and just win. So, Clippers are incredible. Shout out to Lou Williams. Shout out to LeBron for passing Michael, I guess. But, like I said, nobody cared. Uh, be sure to follow me on Twitter, at NBA underscore Rudy. Uh, and also, be sure to rate on iTunes, please. Nothing can help out more than that, honestly. Uh, I believe so, anyway. Getting on the charts on iTunes is an incredible way to uh, advance a young podcaster's, like myself, uh, career. Well, right now it's a hobby, but, you know, with 100 ratings on iTunes, I might be able to turn this thing into a career. So, with 100 ratings on iTunes, I will read them all to you live on air, on video, and eventually that will be uploaded to the feed for the podcast itself. But you can catch that live stream uh, somewhere on social media. It's probably a long way away, as this is still, again, just the beginning. So... If you want to see that sooner, leave a review, preferably five stars. Uh, Thank you for listening.